Hello, and welcome to episode two of Behind the Bench with Neil Francis. Um, I'm not Neil Francis, I'm Gary Hirsch, and I'm joined by John Donovan, and of course, Neil Francis. Good evening, gentlemen. Good evening. Good evening, can, can I just ask, guys, when, when did we decide on that title and, and Franny getting headline uh, <laughs> Um Well, um, apparently, we, me and you don't sell enough tickets. We had to have a marquee name. And if we had it behind the bench with JD, it sounds like we were <laughs> drinking or something like that. So, uh, <laughs> okay, let's keep it professional. At a testimonial or a Cardiff Rage game. <laughs> <laughs> so, we've done a poll and we came out with tough guys. Mm-hmm. So, that'll be the topic. For today, but firstly, uh, Jim, so our first episode went out, the record breakers. Um, what feedback have you got, John? Everyone seemed uh, pretty happy with it on my Twitter account. Um, yeah, no, I, I, I saw some good stuff. I didn't, I didn't um, keep a, 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 across it comprehensively. I, I saw Ken Wynn give the most uh, detailed explanation ever of how the sound in his car was was playing up. But no, it's it's you know. For me and I guess for you two guys as well, it was just nice to sit around and, and, and talk hockey and you kind of forget uh, that you're taping it. Um, yeah, and it was good to, to see people echo that, that they'd forgotten bits that we yeah. brought up and, you know, you know, that season had a lot of good memories it and it was good that we've been able to stimulate those for, for people out there. Absolutely. Yeah, um, I've seen that, speaking of Cameron, actually he found a, a highlight clip from a Steelers Devils. It wasn't highlight, it was three hours long. <laughs> <laughs> But um, that's the kind of thing we want to do yeah. on, the, on the social media. So any topic that we have and there's clips that can enhance what we've talked about, yeah. um, send them our way mm-hmm. and we'll put them out. We'll build a kind of a library of, of memories of episodes. I want to see the clip again of the Super League winning uh, year when the Devils were on the up and tall bus and Franny has the long curly hair. <laughs> yeah. Which... And, and we're led on the bus by Terry Echo. Yeah. Um, who's so intent on looking behind and waving yeah. that he nearly hits about five He rises the traffic. Yeah. 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 Um, but there was uh, another clip that was posted the other day um, with the celebrate. It was Ian Waters. Who yeah, was I saw that today. Sponsor, yeah. Um, with Spa. And. Uh, yeah, he posted. I, I don't know what, what it was filmed on, but it was you know stuff I'd never seen. Yeah, before I about seen like it. the immediate uh, yeah. you know, reaction to winning that league and the trophy presentation Absolutely. and stuff. So that was, that was a good good flashback. It was. So let's get right into it. Let's uh, delve in to what has been uh, a pretty crucial part of Devils history, really. Uh, the tough guy, uh, Cardiff Devils, synonymous over the years with some of the toughest players to have ever played in the UK. Um, but Franny, we'll start with you. You've played with uh, many a tough guy. You've played against many a tough guy. Uh, what makes a tough guy? I think it's that that willingness to to do it and continue to do it because it, it's not it's not a nice role. I mean, anyone that's ever done the role will tell you. And you know, you see a lot of players that are in the NHL that have done the role for many years that you know are suffering for it now. That you know, as as mean and as as you know intimidating as they seem. Those guys actually get nervous before games when they know they're going to go. There's, there's been lots of documented stories about that. Um, you know, the build-up to game, you know, there's quite a bit of anxiety for them. But they still go out there and they put their neck on the line. And, you know, we only have to remember what happened to Tyson Marsh, who was a very, very tough guy in his own right. And he got popped with an unlucky one. And, it, you know, it has pretty bad consequences. So um, these guys, uh, I mean, there's a, there's a mix of them, isn't there? There's, there's guys that are total sort of teammates who will do anything for the team that will stick up for the team that have got your back and we've had plenty of great guys like that you know it's been a privilege to to have teammates like that in Cardiff um, but then there's 
quite a lot of them with a screw loose that uh, <laughs> that enjoy it, enjoy getting hit in the face as much as they enjoy yeah. you know giving a punch. So um, yeah, there's there's a, a sort of wide range of guys on there, but um, yeah, there's there's a lot of wild characters that have been in the tough guy mold, but uh, also some of the nicest guys that you'll meet away from the ice have been tough guys, and and they are chalk and cheese from from how they appear on the ice. Absolutely, John. I want to come to you with the the question in regards to you were with the Devils from day one, mm-hmm. watching the sport. Yes. When did the tough guy become a thing in Cardiff? Because I imagine those early seasons, maybe it wasn't um, as prevalent as it later became. When was it that you kind of realised that hockey in Cardiff had a market for uh, these sort of folk heroes? I think um, in the early seasons, and, and, and particularly with the three import rule, it was, it was so crucial your imports were on the ice, but uh, in the Division 2 season there was a bench clearance, but we only had sort of 13 players, so I'm not sure we had a tough guy amongst them. So it was a flyweight bench clearance. It was a flyweight <laughs> bench clearance, uh, Grimsby Buffalo. So, I, you know, Shannon's first season, um, Shannon, I still think he, what, he's second in penalty minutes maybe to, to Brad Voth, and I think he took most of them in the first season because, uh, you know, he wasn't quite accustomed to, to although he played for Peterborough before, he wasn't quite accustomed to, to, to refereeing over here. So uh, I remember um, I remember Shannon, I think it was a challenge game against Chelmsford where he was in the penalty box, got released from the penalty box, immediately hit somebody and then went back to the penalty box again. <laughs> um, but with, with, the, with the, the, the three imports, you wanted to keep your imports on the ice, so I'm not sure there was really the, the, the tough guy nature we see today, more, more akin to, to um, you know, the NHL. I think probably the first you know, big bad bully that I remember who later became a devil's legend was uh, was Mikey Ware so uh, when Murrayfield brought him in he it was it was he added a different dynamic to the British game just following on from that quickly when ice hockey launched in Cardiff yeah was it a well-known selling point that this was an aspect of the game because like you know hockey was well known across the pond you know Slapshot was 20 years old or 15 years old by the time hockey had launched in Cardiff so was there a kind of education amongst the, the early fan base that this is something that was a lot different to what well, well maybe not so much what was different to what was going on in rugby pitches well, <laughs> at the time yeah but. no well I think John Lawless aside from being a, 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 a great player and, and all the stuff he brought to Cardiff he, he did know how to market stuff and I remember some of the early posters did say uh, rugby on ice and, and, and that sort of thing so I think and we did have Bill Taylor didn't a we? Big, big grizzly was, big Bill Taylor big yeah Bill Taylor who threw hits I think um it must have been the, like an eye-opener for those first fans. I missed that first season. I yeah. think I was in there in the second or maybe in the third season. But, um, you know, I, I certainly remember reading about Grizzly Bill Taylor yeah. and how he'd run people through the boards and all that. Um, so I think that was maybe the, yeah. the first hint of how physical ice hockey could be and how that was a component of the game. Absolutely. And I, it, it played to a Welsh audience, guys. And I think, uh, you know, if, if remember, again, John Lawless used to talk about the fact that Cardiff City uh, at the time, Cardiff Rugby, they were all outside winter sports. You could come in, sit in a, a, a dry environment and see these guys skating at 100 miles an hour, uh, you know, just, just banging into each other. And uh, I think he was clever to, to not sell the violent side of it, but, but certainly John Lawless used to sell the physicality side of it, yeah. 
And if, if I remember rightly as well, that in those early years, there was a couple of incidents. There was one where Lawless, I think, pulled the team off the ice and they got fired. That was in Telford. Telford yeah. yeah, Brian Kanawisher and, and John. Yeah, it was yeah. nine, and Shannon got sticked behind Shannon the was, net. Yeah, and he pulled the team off yeah. the ice. Jim Taylor was referee. And, uh, and shortly, probably the next year from that, we signed Paul Heavey, who was probably maybe the earliest tough guy for the Devils. Uh, you, know, he was, you know, he was the big right. blue liner that's... Well, this is, and I know we're going to get into this later. You know, we talk about tough guy. I, you know, I always think from middleweight, Stephen Cooper was a huge tough guy. Yeah. And, and, oh, absolutely. And, I, you know, yeah. I think Shannon could handle himself. But, yeah, Heavey and you talk about first rivalries and you know, it's all coming back now. Chuck, Chuck Taylor was probably the first big bad guy for the Telford Tigers. So, yeah, there's so many people we could mention. <laughs> well, we'll try to get through as many as we can. Funny, when you started um, and you first break into the pro ranks, the Devils, and you're getting your first few extended runs in the team was this something you thought about that this might be on the horizon or did you just have that kind of blind enthusiasm of just playing and and you know if it was going to come it was going to come you know what what kind of was it laying on your mind at all um early on when I was playing I, I started playing at 12 and I think my first game for the Devils was 16 or maybe just hit 17 um I, up to that point, I, I was like a really clean player, you know, in fact, Tukli, I always remember getting caught with elbows in the head because, you know, I, I wouldn't go in with it. I would try and make as fair a check as I could as possible. But then when you get up into the, the sort of professional game, I was trying to make those hits that I was making then. And you know, we had face cages on mm -hmm. and that is, you know, the red, red rag to the bull. Yeah. Um, for for older players out there, because they see, you know, especially the way I used to play, is that I was a fast <laughs> skater. Yeah. I wanted to impress, you know, all the enthusiasm, and I was finishing every hit. And there's nothing an older veteran guy, you know, hates more than being hit by this young kid in the face cage. It used to drive me wild because people say, "Ah, oh, you're only running around because you got a face cage." But I didn't have a choice but to wear the face cage. <laughs> yeah. That's the and you know, you get popped with so many elbows in the head. Mm -hmm. And I remember my jaws used to absolutely kill from where you get smashed in this face cage. Um, but I just, you had to be a, a lot more savvy at that level because, you know, the players that you're playing against had been there, seen it, done it and, and dealt with it before. So, um, I, I think I always knew that at the, the top level, um, that I was never going to be the most skilled guy. I knew I could skate really well and, um, I was always ranked lower down than the other prospects. Mm -hmm. Um, so you had guys like Simon Keaton, James Manson, Lee Carson, you know, Robbie Hill, Hugh yeah. Jenkins, all those that were ranked ahead of me. So I knew if I wanted to, um, you know, if I wanted to be noticed and to try and get ahead of them, then I had to bring something different. And I tried to do that by playing a bit more physical. Absolutely. So when was your first fight in Devil's Callers? Can you remember it? Yeah, I, I think I can. It was, um, I think, the backseat posse days, uh, for those of you who remember those. So there was, you know, me, Keats. That's an episode uh, coming yeah. up. Oh, yeah. Richard Townsend and Mance and, Sean Ward, and Cass yeah. and, yeah, and Wardy. Um, and we'd had a shift and we'd been out there banging. And, you know, Cardiff fans love seeing the homegrown guys out there giving it their all. Um, very, you know, I think it was a nation we're proud, aren't we, of mm -hmm. Welsh guys sort of coming through. Um, and we'd been out there for a shift and we'd run around a little bit. And I'd gone for a line change. And I could hear a big roar, and next thing I look back, and there's Keats's tangled up in the netting with somebody, and it's all kicking off there. So I double backed from the bench, skated as hard as I can, and just jumped the first guy that I saw <laughs> and got in there. And that was actually my first time getting thrown out of a game as well. So uh, third man in, or yeah, I think it was third man in. But uh, yeah, it all came first fight and first time I'd been thrown out. So 
Thank you, so one so bad. You had a few more afterwards. Yeah, yeah. I mean, <laughs> I probably asked for a few more than I got because I mean, I was you know part of my role was to try and get under guy's skin, and yeah. you know if they were smart enough, they wouldn't take that trade because mm-hmm. it wasn't a good trade for them. Um, but eventually, you can wear some guys down, or you can do something that's going to make people react, and you know that that's something I think I brought to the to the table. Absolutely, yeah. You mentioned something a few minutes ago, John, which we're going to circle to. Um, we're obviously going to talk about the big personalities of Brad Voth, Mike yeah. Way, uh, these sort of larger-than-life characters, mm-hmm. almost sort of mythical creatures. Yeah. Um, but in terms of entertainment, I guess you can say, and I know it's, it's an area of the sport that's maybe mm-hmm. going uh, towards extinction rather than anything else, but... Uh, you mentioned middleweights, yeah, guys who maybe don't make made, didn't make their living throwing knuckles, but some of the most entertaining fights I've seen as a fan yeah. have been through just two guys who have ended Absolutely. up disliking each other. Um, can you give us a kind of broad overview of what you consider to be a middleweight and uh, why you think that's so entertaining? I think to kind of take the the last part first, why it's entertaining. Um, Todd mentions a few things, uh, well, he mentions a lot in the Q and A. But one of the things, <laughs> one of the things he touches on a lot about fighting is he likes, um, he thinks fighting still has a, a part in the game if the fights happen organically. And I, I tend to think they happen more organically at a, at a middleweight level. Guys who aren't. Um, you know, predisposed to going out there thinking they're going to have a fight, but something happens during the game, as you say, you know, crashing the net or, or a big hit or something like that. Um, or you're just trying to get your, your team going. And sometimes, you know, the, the, the middleweight rink rats will, will, will do that. Um, and, and I just like some of the matchups that, that, that happens at, at middle. You don't get a lot of maybe so much of the clutch and, and, and grabbing, maybe because these guys aren't so schooled in fighting. They actually try and, and, and get punches away. Um, and, and I've, you know, I just think back to the middleweight tilts. There are some middleweights who I consider good technical fighters, people like Stephen Cooper, people like Jared Adams. But yeah, I'll throw Frank Evans, Frank in Evans well. into that. I've absolutely loved having Frank Evans <clears throat> as a teammate and loved watching him. Yeah. You know, um, he's a guy that was just fearless and you could just see any incident he was first in yeah. and he's ready to go and you know he could more than handle his Absolutely. own against you know a lot bigger guys i remember yeah frank kovacs he, he fought mm-hmm. a couple of times at sheffield and that i remember and i know we can just list all of them i, I really fought, i really enjoyed was it uh, mike Perpich against kevin bergen in the big blue yeah, tent yeah. that was a good purpose as a guy i think had he not had that knee injury early on um would have gone on to be a devil's yeah. legend because you know he had that old school mentality didn't he he, did. he had that grit to his game and you know he wasn't afraid to shy away from fights no, and he was technically an excellent he excellent was a, fighter. He, and I, and I, so that's the thing with me with middleweights I think I would say I'm more of a, a fan of skill hockey than, than aggressive fighting hockey and, and, and you know you pick your poison and we, we all like the game for different reason but of course you're going to get out of your seat when you see a, a, a fight happen and I get excited about those fights that are as Todd says organic uh, and I think that happens more at middleweights than maybe it does at the heavyweights because there's an expectation the heavyweights are going to fight, whereas the middleweights tend to, it comes out of the game. Sticking with this sort of middleweight theme for a second, Franny, is there anyone um, who was possibly middleweight stature, but I know you mentioned Frank Evans, but, but a heavyweight mentality in terms of that was their role um, kind of like a Tai Domi, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, maybe you've played against them. I'd say in the league, 
Um, the guy that immediately springs to mind is Paul Ferone. Yeah. Uh, yeah, up in Newcastle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, the guy was probably my size. I mean, a lot more jacked, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, what? A, oh my God! He he would go against any legit tough guy, and it didn't matter if they had six, seven, eight inches in height on them and the reach. But he was so strong. You know, he'd throw bombs. You know, he'd he'd, he'd grab on, he'd pull them in close, and he would just throw bombs and. Um, for me, he was pound for pound the toughest there's been. One thing I want to touch on is possibly one of the most entertaining and unusual visuals in sport mm. is a bench clearance. Yeah, It doesn't really happen in any other sport where you've got all this equipment flying everywhere and everything's going on. But Freddie, you, you seem to attract them, to be honest. <laughs> you, you know, you've been involved in pretty much everyone uh, that the Devils have had. Um it's a little bit frightening out there when it starts because there's only three well there were only three officials mm-hmm. for all of the previous bench clearances and you've got a lot of big guys who maybe now don't have a filter mm. and that testosterone's going the crowd is going absolutely crazy um yeah what, what what's the, the thing because i imagine you know everyone afterwards says oh what fun like that was great like brilliant if everyone comes away unhurt yeah but i imagine in the midst of that there's got to be a time where you're thinking oh dear I, I think at the time um your adrenaline is just pumping it through and you know i mentioned before about you know be it leading up to games there's you know, a bit of anxiousness uh, if you know it's going to be a physical game and you, you know the likelihood is you're you, um, you're going to get into a fight um, but something that happens sort of spontaneously like that, um, probably the adrenaline's going through. Um, I remember, I think maybe I, I'm saying I wasn't as intimidated because I was always on tough teams. So we always had, you know, more often than not, tougher teams than, <laughs> mm-hmm. than the opposition. Uh, I remember being in a bench brawl um, for the Rage back in, you know, those days. And it kicked off. We had a very young side, yeah. and I was one of the oldest guys at like twenty one mm-hmm. or twenty two. And I remember that being pretty scary because you know I might have been fighting with a, with one guy, and then you're getting suckered from yeah. behind by somebody else, and then you're like, okay, there's no one here to bail me out. What's going to happen here? But in the you know the bench brawls I, I was in for the Devils, it was I think we were loving it at the time. To be <laughs> <laughs> it was uh, especially like I say, we had tough tough teams, and it was you know very much a kind of test up dostrum uh fuel yeah. thing like you said and you know we, we ended up i think you know on top in in the the, the couple that i can yeah. certainly remember and uh no i think i think it was quite exciting is there like a, a get together in the locker room you know after, after a night out when everyone's like what did we do last yeah. night and everyone pulls together other information yeah. <laughs> Every, stories, everybody's, yeah. everyone's got their own story because <laughs> you can only really see what's going on in front yeah. of you and you, you know you're getting glimpses of other things and <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good bus trip home if, if yeah, that's yeah. happened where everyone's telling their story. <laughs> Who was the guy who was like, I had three of them, I dealt with them easy. <laughs> oh, God, I don't know. <laughs> probably Waffy, because probably Waffy did, didn't he? <laughs> Most famous bench clearance, John. Nottingham? Um, I, would, I would say that's probably... Was it the first? It wasn't, because the first one, as I said, because I'm old and boring, uh, the first Devils one I remember was in the, the Division Two playoffs, um against Grimsby Buffalo and I said we only had sort of 13, 14 men and I remember a guy called Max Thurgood was sort of hitting two people at a time but no the the, the Nottingham one um, 94, 95 yeah that really sort of resonates it was it was a big game we had a rivalry all, all year with Nottingham and 
I still maintain Nottingham should have won the league that year. They had a great team with Brabant, Gus, Primark. Uh, you know, there was, a, there was a lot of good people on that team. Blaisdell's coach, Mario Belanger was there. Um, but they, they lost it in the last five or six weeks, and Sheffield won the league. And the last game of the season between Cardiff and Nottingham was to get second place. Um, and we were behind all game, and we, we pegged them back. And then, and I know it's something you're going to talk about later, um, Gaz, about incidents that maybe didn't get punished as they should. Whilst the bench clearance happened, so you, you think this incident did get punished, I still to this day would love to get hold of Ross Lamb before what he did to Dougie McEwen. <laughs> um, you know, just, just pummeling Dougie McEwen uh, uh, across, the, uh, across the blue line. And Dougie was the best player in the league that year by, by a country mile. And then it all kicked off and I remember Blaze then and Lawless just looking at each other and you know are we going to send the guys out and uh, when the bench is cleared and as you say it must be adrenaline but but scary for a player for a fan it's just you know fantastic uh, fantastic viewing and guys who you don't necessarily think are tough will, will then show that like in that bench clearance Claude Dumas was 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 fighting and and and, and getting involved and you've mentioned Simon Keating he went nuts in yeah. that bench clearance and that was I, great I was night. actually injured for that one I just had shoulder surgery so if you look back at the the video of that and there's, it goes to a part on the bench and I'm stood there and I've got one arm in a sling <laughs> and I think Keats and Towns are, are going. They're obviously my line mates. Yeah. They've always had each other's backs. And there's one point you can see my arm just go above the bench <laughs> and hold on to whoever shirt it was because I think Keats was uh, yeah. letting them rain. And uh, so I, I was still trying to play my part even if I had one arm and, I was, and I was off the, off the ice. But yeah, that was... Um, I think Stephen Cooper stepped up in that one. Stephen didn't he? Cooper yeah. stepped up, and, and one of the things I remember from that is the two guys you probably would have loved to be involved. Uh, Heaves had retired that year and was assistant coach. And you could see him on the bench. <laughs> I think yeah. he had a stick in his he hand. He had a stick in his hand. I think trying to get a Brabant, and then uh, and then Jamie Van der Horst was playing for the Devils that year, and he was out injured at the time, and he was trying to get involved as well. So um, there was a lot of pent up aggression, but that was a. That was a great night. Brian Cox was fighting with Jason Wood. And, and we've got to mention, because I know Woody will probably listen to this, yeah. Brian Cox did hit Woody with his in the face yeah. with Woody's own helmet. <laughs> Not with Brian Cox's his mask, but the ultimate he, insult. He, he, the ultimate. he grabbed Woody's mask off his head and clocked him around the head and, <laughs> and cut him. And Woody's never lived it down. No, he, and we spoke about it the other week when Woody was over for a game. And yeah. uh, I, In fact, I think every time I see Woody, that comes yeah, up. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> was that the game that you know, we talked about kind of why Cardiff loves a tough guy. Yeah. Was that incident a big part of that, really? Because I, my first full season was the first Super League year. Yeah. So I missed this. But I, people, even then, were like, it was, it was quite a big talking point. It was kind of a big sell to me. It's like, oh, this, stuff like this happens. Well, I, I think it's just when something, it's a <clears> physical <throat> game anyway, but when something above and beyond and out of the ordinary like, like that happens and what it's, it's, you know, 23 years later, and I'll still watch the YouTube clip, you know, a couple of, <laughs> couple of times a, a, a month. And, and I think, I don't know a guy we're going to reference tonight, but I think someone who did a lot for, for um, you know, growing the tough guy uh, notion in Cardiff was, was maybe that first homegrown tough guy. And I'd probably give that honor to Nicky Chin. And I think at that yeah. time, Nicky, yeah, Nicky Chin was a was a tough, tough guy, yeah. uh, particularly that punch on Mike Rowe, which... Yeah, uh, that's the famous one, isn't it? Yeah. Chinny was in his cage. Mike Rowe was one of the toughest guys in the yeah. league. He'd had, you know, he was a tough guy in North America. He played mean, didn't he? He played the role. And, you know, he's had Nicky Chin running around and he thought he's going he's yeah. to school him. And then I just remember, you know, Chinny cocking his arm back yeah. and bang, he drops 
you know, Mike Rowe, which was legendary. And it was it was a it was a face off game. It was the, on the TV program. And Paul Ferguson, who I always say, I, I'm, I'm a, not a great commentator, but I steal all my good lines off Paul Ferguson. I remember watching it on the Monday night with my dad. And Paul Ferguson, you expect him maybe to say, oh, there's no place for that in the game. And Paul Ferguson just goes, uh, well, that's one of the nicest punches I've seen in a long time. <laughs> <laughs> um, Nicky Chin, we just touched on him, middleweight or heavyweight? Back, back then, probably a, a heavyweight because you didn't have the, mm-hmm. you know, the huge guys. But in reality, I mean, compared to, mm. to, to, to the size on players today, I mean, he's probably a, you know, a middleweight, yeah. but uh, very, very strong guy. You know, was strong from an early age and uh, didn't mind throwing it about. And no. um, yeah, I mean, he was. Uh, we all, we've talked before about him being a big game player. Yeah. Um, but he would, uh, he would definitely show up when it counted. Oh, absolutely. Couple so, of Coventry bench brawls, isn't there? Was, yeah. My, my favourite ever one was Coventry away, and it was before they had the barriers between the two benches. Yeah. Um, it's the, the reason there's barriers. The reason <laughs> the yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy to think that there wasn't one, but it's the reason why they've <laughs> yeah. built now the full barrier. And there'd been um, a few fights in the game. I think Wesley and yeah. Ivan had been thrown out already. Yeah. Uh, we had Dennis Maxwell, Dennis Maxwell on the yeah. team, and he'd fought Slender and yeah. Gareth Owen, even. Gareth Owen, maybe. yes. And, you know, so he was stirring it up. And then, um, yeah, there'd, there'd been a fight. I think Tomo had been yelling to him. Yeah. And, um, we had uh, we had a, a guy helping with our equipment, Stefan Zidoich. Yeah. And uh, he was on the bench, and he gets involved too. But it, it, it just all kicks off on the ice and I remember Frank Evans was actually on Coventry, Coventry yeah. uh, and Ed Patterson who was again another very underrated tough yes. guy I think he more or less suckers Frank and he starts <laughs> going to town and I remember Frank having a big welt on his head and not being very happy about it and then it's, it's all kicked off and I remember being on the bench and we were Ivan and Mike had come out the dressing yeah. room and they were kind of wrestling with guys there and where's his arm is going and Cugnet was actually Backup for that game because yeah, I think the game Brabs, was, did Brabs play? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think Brab, Brabham had played because I think that was. I remember Frank having a big welt on his head and not being <laughs> very happy about it. And then it's it all kicked off. And I remember being on the bench and we were. Ivan and Mike had come out the dressing yeah. room and they were kind of wrestling with guys there and where's his arm is going and. And then Cugnet is by the thing, and next thing, and he was a tough guy. Yeah. I mean, we all remember him stepping in against yeah, Cornish, Cornish yeah. when, when uh, the racers were running around. And, you know, he, I think Cornish yeah. was trying to go with Stoney, and then yeah. Cugnet steps in while he's going to stick across him, yeah. But, yeah, he, um, yeah he's, he's going with someone. And then there's a few of us. I remember Mance was there, and it was me, and I can't remember who else was with, Phil Hill. Yeah. Uh, and we started, like, edging towards this bench. <laughs> and next thing we know, we're, like, literally in the middle of Coventry's bench and there's all kinds <laughs> going on there's just punch you just don't know who was oh, hitting man. you who was getting hit um, it was just absolute mayhem but that wasn't a bench clear as was it that it was, was, nice. yeah, it was, it was yeah that was actually a question from uh, Ryan Bodman on Twitter about that ice clearance in yeah. Coventry um, you mentioned Maxwell and Tomo going at each other can you remember what they said I think Tomo would have been yelling at Maxwell, and I know you won't believe Tom always but yeah, he was, he was yelling at Maxwell because I don't think, uh, Maxie was obviously looking for a fight, you know, mm-hmm. he, he was spoiled, the game had, uh, had been boiling over anyway, a couple of guys had been thrown out, so you know, he's already fought like a young guy, mm-hmm. um, and Gizmo actually did really well in that one, because he was just one of those wiry guys, yeah. it was hard to put down, and 
that probably frustrated Maxi. Yeah. So then Maxi ends up a fight with, I think it was Slender, yeah. who again was pretty tough. Um, I think then Tabo lost his rag at this point, and he's yelling at Maxwell. So then Maxi was never one to back down from anything like that. So he was basically offering the whole bench on. Uh, we had a way tougher team than them. And you could see that they were getting very intimidated. So that's when Maxwell is virtually on their bench, you know, and then that's when somebody has to grab him. And then as soon as one guy gets grabbed, then, you know, that was the ignition uh, to, to light it off. And the other bit I remember, I didn't see it at the time because I think I was on commentary's bench at the time. Um, but, you know, I remember hearing about it and then watching the video after. And uh, Jeff Brown, who yeah. was about six foot three, 220 pounds, has taken Tom Watkins' helmet off and was beating him over the head with it on our bench. <laughs> you can see it in the video. You can, like the you, you can just see the helmet coming up and whack, whack. And it was just the weirdest thing ever to do to somebody. <laughs> Especially when you're that much bigger yeah. than them. But I mean, what's crazy about that, that ice clearance was um, it, it was kind of the catalyst for Coventry's season the year after. Mm. Because the next week was the playoffs and Tomo was banned uh, for not controlling his bench. Mm. Um, and we blitzed them 4-0 in the WNIR, mm-hmm. yeah. and Tomo was sat in block 8. I don't know who advised yeah. him <laughs> to sit in block 8, but, well, put it this way, he had a lot of locals yeah. uh, rubbing his face in it. Um, and the year after, he built the team to just yeah. absolutely slaughter us. His answer was That season, you could tell in every Coventry Cardiff game that he, I think he held that last mm, ice clearance yeah. pretty pretty close to his chest. And, yeah. that, uh, that playoff game was one the week the weekend before, before yeah. because they were, I knew some guys on Coventry and they, if they could have given us the game 5-0 before, they would have, they would have happily not come down. Yeah. And it, we knew it. So, you know, it, it definitely done its job in terms of the intimidation factor. But like you say, he responded the next year in signing Payette, yeah. who single-handedly beat us all the way until I think we Craighead. then signed John yeah. Craighead. And then Craighead fought him three times, yeah. and Craighead was a super, super tough guy. Yeah. Um, but up to then, I remember Payette would run around and hit somebody really badly early on. Yeah. No response, because we didn't have a tough... That's no. probably the... That whistle team was... It was a whistle it was, team, it was the yeah, softest Callum, team. Matt, so it was good, it was yeah, a skill team, skill but team, there was no yeah, toughness there. It didn't have your prototypical Cardiff Devils team no. with, you know, the toughness in there. And, you know, they took full advantage of that and totally had yeah. it, I remember. And Rob Davidson, although a good player, that he didn't really step up to, to maybe play the role. Uh, right, until Cullen got hit by Until Cullen got hit by Peron. <laughs> oh, I think we have to touch on that now we brought it up. <laughs> yeah, why not? Um, for anyone who doesn't know, Mike Peron was a particularly distasteful Sheffield Steelers player. Who, I think uh, one that you'd like on your side, but hate yes. if he's against you. And, yeah. you know, he, he definitely, you know, played that sort of rat role very did. well, didn't he? And got under skin and... You know, he stepped over the line, he got reactions, and yes, yeah, he made a particularly bad hit, didn't he? On those awful hit, yeah, he did. And I still haven't forgiven him, so I would have him nowhere near my team. And I still hope and pray that someone uh, exact revenge. <laughs> but uh, uh, Rob Davison certainly uh, reacted first and, yeah. and managed to get him. And I've never seen someone rip a bit of plexiglass in two, mm. but as they're both in the penalty box, Rob Davison very clearly. Uh, shouts over the glass, you've got no effing balls. <laughs> and uh, as Perron kind of creeps towards the glass thinking he's safe, yeah. he, he rips it in two. Like, that, that is yeah. brute strength from a, a guy who played in the NHL. Franny, I've got to ask you, um, at the time, Ed Patterson was, had a pretty major shoulder surgery and his arm was in a sling 
Um, I think he was out for the year yeah, uh, at this point. Um, I think he's told the story himself about trying to get into the locker room once Perron uh, had been sent there in the premier break. Do you remember anything about that? Vaguely, no, no you mentioned it. But Ed was a guy that, um, like I said before, he, he was very underrated tough. Uh, he also had that, uh, that switch as well. And when he lost it, he was he was nasty. I remember, you know, just going off topic for a second, but I remember in the playoff finals, um, we needed a bit of a boost, and he kicked the set our sentiment out of the draw and just went in and sticked their their, their uh, sentiment right in the face off the draw, <laughs> just just to kind of send a message. But do to you. Yeah, yeah, yeah. just stick him straight in the face to, just to get a reaction. But yeah, I think he would have one armed. Yeah. I would have fancied Ed Patterson against Piranha that night because he was that vexed about what happened to Cully. You know, yeah. Cully was a, a skilled guy, he was. a very small guy, wasn't much to him. And, you know, he was probably the dirtiest hit that we've seen. And, uh, yeah, like I said, Ed, Ed Patterson with one arm against Mike Piran. Yeah. You know, when that, that fuse had gone, I'd, I'd back Patterson. Oh, <laughs> absolutely. Let's talk about Mike Wing. John, you mentioned that he was probably the first guy to come over to British Shores and be mm-hmm. the man, mm-hmm. the man who was earned his living off of being um, the protector, the enforcer. Um, he's certainly one of the first I saw players I saw as a child that I went, wow, that, that yeah. guy is larger than life. Um, for you, John, one of, one of the most influential Devils players that you've seen in terms of what he brought, what, what were your thoughts on... Mikey Weir as a, as a devil and opponent. First of all, as an opponent, it was it was always box office the the couple of years that, that um, Mike Weir was was at Murrayfield, and I should say Mike Weir was um, throughout his his career, both Heineken League, Super League, also a very good player. I remember that Murrayfield team you had guys like Chris Palmer, Tony Hand, John Newbury, Jim Mollard, Jim, yeah, a lot of a lot of legendary side when you put Hand and Scott Neal in, absolutely, too, yeah. and you know. There's times where Murrayfield should have won the league, but they didn't because perhaps they always had a discipline problem. And, <laughs> and, and, and Mike Webb could put up, in, in the old Heineken League days, he could put up 100 points a season, but you knew you could get under his skin and it was box office. And, and you know, we talked about Chinny before. I remember a game where Chinny basically took it upon himself to get under Mike Ware's skin and, and, and took him out of the game. And Mike Ware um, shot a puck of Rick Rabant's head. And I know some other people might have thought about doing that. <laughs> Should put in my disclaimer that I'm a huge Rick Raban fan, but yeah, Mike, Mike Ware was box office. You always knew something was 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 going to happen, and um, when he signed for the Devils, it, it obviously just gave you presence. Um, but it was really interesting how quickly because Heaves was was a tough guy, but Lawless made him captain to to I think you know kind of all that passion to try and harness it in a in a in a good way, and it was interesting that Heaves did exactly the same thing to to Mike Ware. Um, making him captain when, when Stephen Cooper uh, left. And, uh, you know, the first year he could play as a winger. He played on a line with Machulik and Randy Smith, and he, he put up points, and then he moved back as a defenseman. So he was he was multi-talented. But I don't think I've ever seen a guy, um, to sort of round this all off, you can tell when, when, when the red mist came down, he, lo- he didn't care. I think he tried to beat up his brother Greg one time to get to a, <laughs> a player when Greg was trying to restrain him. When the red mist came down, it really came down on Mikey Ware. Yeah, he was the scariest opponent that I've played against. Um, I remember, yeah, you said he shot a puck at uh, Rick Brabant. I, I remember him absolutely dummying Keats in the head. And when Keats was on the floor, 
still doesn't know what day of the week it is and he shot a fuck at him as well uh, and it's funny they ended up becoming like yeah. really good friends when he was down in Cardiff so I said before that Mike Ware is one of the nicest mm-hmm. guys that you can uh, you know you can, you can get off the ice just an absolute heart of gold but on the ice that's exactly what you said John he had that red mist and you knew when the red mist had come down there was no stopping him you know there, there was no stopping him there was, there was the, that fight up in Sheffield with Chinny again yes. Chinny definitely got under the skin of of Mike Ware and Chinny had a fight with Greg, mm-hmm. you know, and it was going all right, but Mike just lost his mind and Heaves was hanging off the back of him. Now, Heaves is a big guy. <laughs> there was three players, there was Heaves and two players hanging off the back of Mike Ware <laughs> on the benches in, in Sheffield and he still managed to get over the bench, he gets to the fight, the linesman are hanging off his back, yeah. he's still going and then I think the goal he had been pushed, the, net, also, the yeah. net had been pushed off and he's like, going through the net to st- and he's pulling all these people around the ice still yeah. trying to get to Chinny. It was it, it just, once he had it in his mind, I, well, I don't even think, I think he just blanks out. I think he did. Because on that, in that fight, Stephen Cooper's captain that year and he's trying to say to Mike, calm down, I don't think Mike Ware's even aware that Stephen Cooper is in front of him. <laughs> I don't think he knows he's on his team at that no, point. No, not <laughs> but, uh, He was box office. Yeah, definitely. I remember, um, I didn't play, play this year but um, I remember Keats ringing up Mike Ware and it was just after Mike Ware had knocked out Dennis Vial mm-hmm. so Dennis Vial like you know one of the better resumes of tough guys to come over particularly in the you know the Super League era um, and they had a bit of a spat going on and they had a fight up in Sheffield and Mike throws an absolute perler yeah. and knocks him out and Vial cannot get up mm-hmm. he's you know Bambi legs and everything um, Keats rings him up the next day and he's like hey, hey uh, Mike how you doing uh, how was the game last night? Yeah, yeah, I was okay. Anything happened? No, 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 it was, you know, it was okay, it was okay. <laughs> he's like, oh, I heard you knocked out Vial. And he's like, yeah. He's like, what, I, when are you going to tell me? He's like, well, you know what, sometimes you knock someone out, sometimes you get knocked out. That's the way it is in fighting. And that's as level-headed as he was, you know? And you could see by the way he fought. He was very open, wasn't he, when he, he was. fought. He was literally throwing. He was no, swinging. Yeah. No defence whatsoever. His chin was right up there. And you do see videos of Mike Ware getting buckled. Yeah. You know, he's a, he's a six foot six guy. He wasn't necessarily the biggest, you know, frame on him. No. Um, but, you know, six foot six. Um, and he would fight with his chin out there. Sometimes he gets popped and he drops to his knees. I mean, he normally gets back up mm-hmm. and starts thrown again. Uh, other times he's connecting and he's, and he's dropping people. Yeah. But uh, he was very humble about it too. He, there was no way he was bragging about no. anything like that because he knew, he knew that he was one punch away from a knockout as, as much as he was, uh, he was there knocking out guys like Vial. Uh, we left and went to Sheffield as a young Devils fan. My first real mm-hmm. hockey heartbreak that was. Yeah. Uh, but then shortly after, Mike McWilliam comes in yeah. uh, as the replacement. And uh, talk about kind of being the perfect replacement, I guess, when you're talking for like for like, uh, guys leaving and guys coming in. Um, it was a tough role to fill, John, for McWilliam with we're leaving at least that's kind of how, how I read it um, but he he filled it what, what are your thoughts he did well I, I'm going to be in a minority of one because I, I, I liked Mike McWilliam the second year of his two year contract I thought the first year 
Um, there's no doubting he was tough. And I should say, I, I, I dealt with Mike a little bit um, when we were putting the Legends game together. What, you dealt with him as in you sorted him out? Or? Well, you know, <laughs> much like Mike, where I don't like to brag. <laughs> no, when, when, when I was involved with, with, with Shannon and a few others organising the Legends game a few years ago, dealing with Mike, he was a perfect gentleman. Off the ice, he was a born-again Christian, and he used to donate toys to, to, to needy uh, causes and what have you. But I remember when, when Mike Ware left... Um, we didn't sign Mike McWilliam till sort of six or seven weeks into the into the season, and he was brought in initially as a as a defenseman, and he was brought in at the same time as a guy called Tony Sicelli, and I really liked Tony Sicelli, um, and and McWilliam I don't think had the the foot speed or or mobility to necessarily play as a, a defenseman, so I wasn't a huge fan of his the the, the first season. Um, and I also thought he could take a, a, a cheap penalty. I, I thought he was a tough guy, but I thought he could take... But the second season when he went on a line, I think, with Merv Priest and, and uh, Nicky Chin, that was, a, that was a horrible, horrible line to play against. And, uh, you know, Franny's going to mention in a minute, he had a, a classic rivalry with a guy from Air. And uh, um, I thought the second season he was controlled. He did it when he needed to do it. He also showed his hockey skills. I remember a couple of goals... Uh, I think live on Sky, won maybe a Challenge Cup in, in Nottingham, won against Bracknell. I think the second season, I was far more of a fan of Mike McWilliam. And yeah, there's no doubt he was tough. And I don't think the door at the uh, the Ninex Arena has ever recovered from when Mike <laughs> McWilliam put his uh, stick through it. It also hasn't been called the Ninex Arena since that day either. <laughs> it hasn't. Well, I'm stuck in a time walk, guys, you know that. But the, um, the earliest thing I remember about the name Mike McWilliam was that Heaves was pretty excited when he got his signature. He'd signed him, and um, we were in the um, Wales National Ice Drink at the time. We used to go down to Savini's for breakfast pretty much after every practice, and he's going in there, and he's like, hey, we've just signed the guy. He's, like, mega tough, you know? Like, nobody's going to touch him over here, which I think mm -hmm. he was right. Absolutely. Um, and he said, I said, how come he's coming over now? You know, why wasn't he here earlier? And he's like, uh, he's coming off, off an injury. Um, he's just had shoulder surgery, and I was like, ooh, that's a bit, you know, for a tough guy, shoulder surgery. And he'd ha I've had both of my shoulders done the same thing. Um, but uh, he was just saying, oh, no, he's quite excited about his shoulder surgery because they've shortened his ligaments a little bit, which, which he said is tightened it up. It gives him that bit extra spring. So when, <laughs> so when he takes his arm back, he's actually got a bit more spring to come into his puncture. So, so that, along with the plate in his hand that he's oh, got, God, yeah. it actually, uh, yeah, he's pretty excited about getting going this year. And I just thought, okay, this will be interesting. <laughs> and, and it was. And, um, you know, Mike McWilliam, I don't think, I don't think he got beat over here, did he? I don't no, I, I don't think so. I think I think maybe there's a few honourable draws along the way. I remember people, but when we hosted the Continental Cup, there was a big Slovakian guy over, you know, and he, he had some. But no, he he. he I remember. Was nuts. I remember on that Continental Cup game um, because he uh, he got his shirt. He, he got his like uh, arms tangled up in his shirt somehow, and then you could see him like moving around yeah. like Mel Gibson in Lethal Weapon. <laughs> And next thing you see, this arm comes from under his shirt. So he's managed to take his arm out of his sleeve, under his shirt. So this big guy, Slovakian guy, thinks he's got Mike yeah. Ware tied up. And next thing, this arm comes from underneath and just pops him. <laughs> and I've never seen a cut like it. He literally cut him the length of his forehead. He, he and uh, the guy was, uh, yeah, there was, it was bleeding everywhere. And Again, that Continental Cut, I remember, there was, whether it's the same game or one of the other two teams, I think perhaps it was the same game, McWilliam knocks a guy to the ice and the guy thinks about getting up. And Kip Noble just looks at him and goes, no, you don't want to do this. Um, 
you said that Mario was the most intimidating guy you played against. How how intimidating was it when he? As a, Again, uh, he was one of those that had the fuse, didn't he? You know, he yeah. had he had that look in his eyes that you know nothing was going to stop him once once he wanted it, and and yeah, I mean, he would to you know. He was on our side, so everybody was a foot taller, like like you were with Mike Ware, mm-hmm. like you were with Brad Voth, and you know all these um, you know great guys that we've had. But you know Mike McWilliam for his era is probably the toughest guy I would I would say around there. So uh, yeah, I mean you you just saw that look in his eyes that not many people would mess with him. But you know we talked about a great rivalry. There's one guy that kept coming back for more and more, which was Matt Hoffman yeah. up in there. He wasn't a small guy himself, no. but um, I was just amazed time after time <laughs> that how he volunteered to get into because they, they normally didn't it didn't fight in scrums or anything it was always off the face oh, yeah, it was yeah. like they, they, it was those surprised. guys yeah, yeah those guys wanted each other and you know uh, I listened to a podcast with McWilliam on yeah um, the other week and uh, you know he said there's tough guys that he fought that you know because he's doing his job yeah. and you know they were actually he knew they were good guys and he said that guy I just we didn't like each other Playing playing some didn't like each yeah. other, and you could see it in in the fights because there's some fights that you can say that you're doing it for the team and you know your team needs a spark. Those guys, it was it was personal, mm-hmm. and and it rarely happens like that. But for those guys, it was personal. They just couldn't get enough of uh, fighting each other. Do tough guys in the locker room keep that to themselves? Like I know there's bound to be games where they know that week leading up, I'm going to take this guy. We've had Schulte and Mike Weir, for example, yeah. going at each other in the press. You know it's going to happen. Hoffman and William just kept the uh, the the fights coming. It, do they vocalize that the guys in the locker room? Not not really. Normally, the ones that vocalize it are the ones that aren't so tough and the ones that, are, <laughs> that end up not actually fighting. You know, they talk yeah. about it but don't do it. And, you know, the really really tough ones um, just go out there and, and do it and don't even get anyone else involved because it can be a distraction if you've got that you know that anticipation of a big fight or whatever. Uh, it can be a distraction in the in the dressing room. So. You know the the good tough guys will will just do it when you know when the time's right and uh, and not talk about it. I remember just to finish on Mike McWilliam. I remember you know, his last game of game for the Devils was was a playoff final winning game against Nottingham when when Matulik scored those two goals and uh, I remember the um, uh, the South Wales Echo article uh, a couple of days later. So I'm guessing Terry Phillips would have wrote it and Mike McWilliam said, "Well, my body can't play any more hockey. It was the greatest." Uh, uh, note to finish on so I think he went on to Panath Pier and just threw all of his hockey equipment uh, into into the sea there so uh, you know, after a couple of hours I found it all <laughs> uh, but no he, as I say I, initially as a defenceman uh, I wasn't following Mike Ware I wasn't too sure he was very very tough he was very very scary and I think in that second year playing as a as a winger um, you know he just he gave protection. Someone like Murph Priest, who I didn't realise had the hockey skills that, that, that he had, and I, and I think maybe playing on a line with Mike McWilliam, that, that protection allowed someone like Murph Priest to show off the fact he was a good stick handler and, and, and what have you. So there's, there's no doubt you play taller than a guy like Mike McWilliams on your team. So that's the end of part one of Tough Guys. And I'm sure you'll agree some great anecdotes there in part one. Coming up in part two, McMorrow and all the stories associated with his time in the UK. Another Coventry bench clearance. This one started by Neil Francis. And he'll tell you exactly how he managed to do that. And all the talk around Brad Voth 
and his influential time in a Cardiff Devils jersey. Thank you ever so much for listening once again. Part 2 will be online for you next week. We hope you've enjoyed Part 1. There's more to come, I assure you. Keep um, connecting with us on Twitter, at BTBFranny. And tell us what you like, tell us what you don't like. We're always open to all sorts of suggestions as we grow and learn in this new podcasting realm. But for now, thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week with part two of Tough Guys.